0: This is Aviation Careers Podcast, an aviation podcast about living your dream and pursuing an exciting aviation career. Your host, Carl Valeri, has over a decade of experience counseling pilots. Aviation Careers Podcast will help you navigate towards your aviation career goal. Here is your host, Carl Valeri.
1: Welcome to episode 130 of the podcast, where we inspire you to move forward in your aviation career and also in all your endeavors in life. Today, I'm speaking with uh, Nate Tennant, who's a fan of the podcast. Nate's a a really unique individual. He's 26 years old. He's a CFI, MEI, and double I, meaning he's a flight instructor, multi-engine instructor, and an instrument instructor. And he's currently working for a couple companies, two of them, in Atlanta. One of them, which is really unique, he's flying vintage aircraft for a YouTube channel, and he's involved with another company called goldmethod.com. Well, Nate, welcome to the podcast.
2: Hey, good to good to have good to be here. It's an amazing opportunity. Thanks, Carl.
1: <laughs> well, Nate, uh, tell us a little bit about your your uh, background, but also uh, it, you have an interesting story. I think as far as listening to the podcast, it's lovely to have somebody on that's uh, uh, been listening for a while and been inspired by it. So, tell us a little bit about your journey and how this podcast helped and what you're doing now.
2: Well, um, I actually got my degree in PR a long time ago. Uh, I no no one in my family is in aviation. I don't have any kind of, uh, aviation background or anybody that's done anything like this before. Um, so aviation kind of came a little bit later to me, but, um, I was kind of stuck sitting behind a desk and decided I didn't want to do that anymore after college and, uh, um, took an intro flight. And that was pretty much it for me after I, uh, you know, punched a throttle full in the first time i was uh, I was set. Kind of all the all the building blocks that I was looking for all clicked all at the same time, and the Legos came together. And um, after that, I, you know, I looked for the fastest route that I could get every rating that I needed to uh, to build a career in aviation. and um, ended up going to ATP and doing my uh, kind of zero to hero fast track.
1: Interesting. So you were able to do the zero to hero, and uh, in doing that, you actually had to drive. You were saying before we talked, uh, pretty far to get to to your uh, to your school.
2: How long of a drive was it? I did. I was in Austin, and uh, it was about three hours. But um, one of the reasons that I chose, I was I was a little bit unattached, so I was kind of able to go wherever um, wherever I could. ATP has several different locations. And uh, and one thing that they do is they actually offer free housing to students in their flight centers that uh, that need students. So if a, if the flight center is light on students, um, they offer free housing. So um, that was actually what prompted me to move to uh, Arlington, Texas, to uh, to go to ATP there. And um, I ended up staying. They gave they give you a really nice apartment, and um, I shared it with three other flight students. So it was a two bedroom apartment shared with three or four, four guys, um, kind of from all different walks, walks of life. I had a, you know, a little 18 year old kid. I had another, another, uh, another guy that was my age, about 26. Um, and then we had a 40 year old guy that was there with us. So it was really interesting living situation. That's for sure. Um, but that was one of the cool things about ATP. And one of the reasons I, I went to it was I could, I could live and do my flight training there, um, for free. So,
1: in talking about ATP, I know you've you've listened to people on this podcast, and they mention all ATP, and they want to know what the experience is like. So, tell bring us through what the trainings like, and why they're a little bit different than a lot of schools, and also speak, I guess, in general about doing these full immersion programs.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Um, whenever you ask someone about ATP, or you talk to someone about ATP, you always get either a Uh, it's like an extreme love or an extreme hate relationship. You know, you, you kind of get both sides of the coin when you talk about ATP. And, um, and I think that's valid because it's, it's very much a, not a one, one size fits all kind of program. Um, it worked really, I'll, I'll say this, it worked really well for me and the fast pace of it all. And the, um, it requires a lot of home study and being able to do things on your own, being a self-starter and being motivated on your own. Um, that's kind of what it requires. And then the other thing that the other thing that kind of sets it apart is that they've got so many different locations um, that not every experience is going to be the same depending on the location. Um, a lot of locations, especially up uh, up north, like Chicago and uh, New York and things like that. You, you have you have to deal with weather a lot more than you do uh, you know if you were to go to ATP and say Phoenix Arizona um, so that I think a lot of people go into ATP with these crazy expectations and it's not that you can't meet those expectations it's just that um, you know getting going from zero hour to uh, fully rated flight instructor like I did in nine months or you know, a little over eight months um, you you just may not get that up in up in upstate New York because you're going to have a lot more weather issues. You're going to be dealing with a lot more, um, and I think that's one of the one of the things that really polarizes people with ATP. Um, you know, people go have an experience at ATP in one of their locations where they only have two flight instructors, and those two flight instructors have five or six students each, and they're really busy, and they you know may not give the same attention. Whereas in Arlington, where I trained, we had um, almost 13 flight instructors at any given point. Um, we had all brand new airplanes. We had, um, you know, I think 10 Seminoles, all G500, uh, glass panel. I mean, just beautiful airplanes. Not, not more than, I think they were, the oldest one was like a 2012 or 2013. You know, in archers that were brand new from the factory, we actually had some private students go to Vero Beach, pick up a brand new archer and fly it back to Arlington, Texas for their cross-country training. And it's it's just wild. There was um I, I had a really great 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 experience uh, with mine, but I have heard the other side of the coin um, for people going to the you know sort of less filled out flight school uh, or locations for ATP.
1: And well, um, I would go ahead. I was going to say one a unique experience that is as far as cross country time for for people. And I think that that's something that's unique about ATP is that you do get quite a bit of cross country and. You get to go long distances, too.
2: Oh, absolutely. Um, so for my cross-country uh, time build, whenever I was uh, – I, I just got my instrument rating and my multi-rating. So I would just gotten those two, and uh, I needed to build flight hours in order to get the time to take my commercial. And so to do that, what they do is they they pair you up with another student, and you and another student, you take a seminal on a long cross-country and you both get around 30 to 35 hours um, flying cross country. So it's, it's, it was honestly one of the coolest experiences I've ever done because you, you wake up in the morning, you get in a Seminole and, you know, we started in Austin, Texas and they said, okay, today we want you to fly to Dallas, which is a short flight. So you fly over when you land in Dallas, they say, okay, now go to uh, St. Louis, Missouri. So then you go to St. Louis and then when you land, so they don't tell you where you're going next until you land, and then you have to determine whether you've got time to make that flight that day or you need to spend the night. And if you spend the night, then ATP pays for your hotel room, they pay for your cabs, they pay for, um, they pay for everything but your food, basically, to get you to and from the airport and a place to sleep. Um, so I ended up taking a Seminole um, from Austin, Texas, up to Chicago. Um, over to New Jersey, and then all the way down to South Florida, and then back over to um, Dallas. And and I'm a brand new multi-engine instrument student. This was wild to me. It was the most fantastic experience ever.
1: And operating in all those different types of airspace, and different weather and different environments, and that is so cool. It's such a great idea to do that. Um, You know, going back to what you said about the immersion there, you said something about you have to be prepared and you really need to have all your studying. You have to be a self-starter. You have to be somebody who's going to study on your own. You know, that's how the airlines work. That is what you have to do when you get to the airlines. And their, their programs are very, very compressed. So if someone's looking at getting into this program, is there any advice you give somebody as far as what they can do prior to actually showing up?
2: Yeah, absolutely. Um, I would say that one giant benefit And, uh, you know, I've heard you say this on the podcast and I've heard lots of, I've had lots of aviation mentors tell me this, but, you know, before you get into the commercial side of aviation, if you can go ahead and get your college degree, um, that helps so much there, you could, there was a visible difference when you could see the people that, you know, have gone through some kind of, uh, and I'm not saying a bachelor's degree, but have gone through some kind of, um, schooling where you really needed to, Go above and beyond on your own and really do a lot of research on your own and learn how to put stuff together without someone, uh, you know, kind of giving you a, a list of what you need to do. Um, that would be one huge, huge thing. As much as much as you can get ahead of the game as possible, um, that's that's the best thing, the best way to come at this program. Um, learning how to kind of study on your own and create study habits on your own that, uh, that will help you through. Because everything hits you so hard and fast in those zero-to-hero kind of programs. You know, if you're doing two flights a day with an instructor, you know, two two-hour flights a day, um, you have to be really prepared for those to mean anything to you. You know, if you're going up there in the first 30 minutes to an hour is the instructor teaching you what you should have already done for homework, um, you're going to be behind, and that that picks up quick, and it stacks on top of each other really quick. Whenever you're uh, when you're trying to get all this stuff done fast,
1: what you said about the degree I think is really important. Learning how to study, I, I don't know about you, but I really didn't know how to study until I got to college. I finally <laughs> learned when I got there. And, Absolutely, uh, <laughs> and that was it was a a big wake up experience. But you know, I learned, I loved it when I got into aviation. It wasn't that bad. I really had a lot of fun studying and used those skills that I learned before uh, in my college to, to actually move forward in aviation career. What's also interesting is, is some of the things that you talked about as far as, you know, having this, this immersion and, and moving forward in this in eight months. This is very similar to a lot of ab initio programs. And those are programs, you know, from, like you said, zero to hero. That's, uh, but ab initio meaning from the beginning. One of the questions I get a often, and you've probably heard this, do you feel that going through this program has prepared you as well or maybe even better? Or, or how, what is your experience compared to the other pilots that you see out there and compare your experience to their experiences and, and whether you feel confident moving forward?
2: Yeah, absolutely. I, I, I think that it definitely prepared me better, but that's that's my personal journey through it. Um, I've definitely talked to people that felt the opposite. Um, however, with my personal experience, Arlington being a, uh, a big base, um, everyone was there from you know, nine o'clock in the morning to at least six or seven o'clock at night, sometimes later. And we were doing that six or seven days a week. And when you're surrounded by other students that are in the same environment, you really do end up learning a lot more because you challenge each other and you, uh, and you work with each other and ha- being a flight instructor now at a company that charges anywhere from 50 to $70 an hour for the instructor. I work for a non- mom and pop kind of operation now. Um, it's. I, I can calculate that I probably received anywhere from eight to ten thousand dollars worth of ground training for free, working with ATP, just being in that flight center and kind of being a fly on the wall. And so you, everything is a kind of an open forum there. There's no closed offices or closed meeting rooms. so if um, if there's an instructor giving ground training, um anyone is more than welcome to kind of sit behind and take notes and listen and speak up if they want to. Um there was a Frasca simulator where if someone wasn't using it, they more you're more than welcome to to hop on it and get free sim time and you know mess with things that you've been working on. Um they had a CSX simulator there as well that was free for anybody that wasn't, you know, if, as long as an instructor didn't have it um booked, it was just there and even left on and anybody could hop in and use it. Um so I would say in my experience, it it trained me a lot more just because I I wasn't going to flight school um, training and then going home and then, you know, maybe may or not doing my homework, (laughs) but, um, with the, with that kind of training, you're just so immersed and, and surrounded by it all the time. So even though you're only there for eight, eight or nine months, um, you're just so immersed in the training that I think it, it really prepares you for, it definitely prepares you for CFI because, as students are kind of below you in their training, so once you get to the kind of commercial level, commercial multi-level, you're all in the same area, and you get these new guys coming in working on their private or working on their instrument, and you actually kind of end up being an instructor before you're an instructor. You help these guys with things, there's dry erase boards, you're teaching them stuff, you want them to pass. It's, a, it's very much an environment of um, camaraderie, uh, or my experience was very much a um, camaraderie experience.
1: Sounds like a great environment if you're thinking of becoming an instructor. Uh, all those are great things. How about the person that's sitting here, listening, and thinking, "I want to use all ATPs to get myself to an airline." How do you think it prepares you for the airline environment?
2: Um, I think it. I think it prepares you for the airline environment in that um, there is a lot of crew resource management kind of going on. Um, Your very, you're, you're never in an airplane by yourself very much. The only times you, uh, the only times you're ever in an airplane by yourself are for the solo and they don't even let you solo until 35 hours. So if you're looking for something that you're going to get a lot of time to, you know, kind of solo around and really have some fun flying experiences, um, this program may not be for you. Um, but as far as the way that everything is very structured and, um, crew oriented, I think that it really does prepare you for the airlines in that way. Because um, when I was talking about the cross-country that I did uh, all over the country, you, you're you very designated as pilot flying and pilot monitoring. And the pilot monitoring has a lot of the same responsibilities that you would see in the airlines where the, where the captain or the person flying the airplane, um, his only job really is to focus on flying the airplane while the pilot monitoring deals with uh, the flight plan and talking with ATC and getting everything put together, briefing the approach and all that.
1: So this sounds like a great environment to prepare you for the airlines, you know, through dispatch, crew resource management, and and in, in working in all these different types of environments when you're flying around the system. So sounds sounds like a really good program. Now, you finished up this program, and you immediately went to work as a flight instructor, I'm assuming. Uh, so So where did you go from there, and is that what you're doing now?
2: Yeah, I, um, I did get offered uh, to work for ATP. I actually chose to work for a company in Atlanta because of um, some 135 opportunity flying that was associated with the flight school. Um, the flight school that I fly for is a 141, part 61, and 135 kind of all into one. So uh, the reason I chose them was I get some opportunities to fly right seat in a, in a Citation and a King Air, and I, I kind of wanted to have those opportunities on the side. Um, and that's kind of why I, why I chose my personal path.
1: And one of the things that I think is really neat about having, you know, a place that does all those different things is the fact that, you know, you could get a lot of flight time in. Uh, when you came out of this all ATPs and you moved forward, uh, you were actually able to build some flight time instructing. But on a, in a practical sense, about how many hours does, uh, do you get actually flying now that you're actually instructing?
2: So now that I'm instructing, um, on average, I'm anywhere between 40 and 60 hours a month, depending on um, depending on the weather and what time of year it is, and you know what what's going on. Um, and 40 to 60 is pretty good with me. There are other flight schools if you des- if you uh, decide to fly for one of those, um, you know, accelerated programs. My instructor, for example, at ATP, at one month he logged I think 110 hours and then 90 hours in the sim as well. So in a month. And there's, if you fly for one of those schools, the amount of flight time that you get is just uh, astronomical.
1: So you can actually make a living flight instructing.
2: Oh, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely make a living flight instructing.
1: Well, that's good to hear. You know, you're also involved in many other projects. And let's talk a little bit about this because it's really cool. And, and I was looking at the website, and you have some really neat videos out there. So tell us a little bit about the you know, the tease we have with the the vintage airplanes and also what you're doing online.
2: Yeah, so um, while I was actually getting my flight instructor rating, um, I was approached um, by a company called Gold Seal, and I started working with them. Um, it was started about 10 years ago by a guy named Russ Still, who's a master CFI, really great guy. And um, we've been one of the uh, top online ground schools for longer than just about anybody else. And um, this is a program similar similar to other ones you'll see out there. Um, for pilots to get their ground training uh, online, but what I've really turned to, and um, there's a lot of opportunities out there, is in the uh, drone market, in the UAV market. And what we've really steered towards in Gold Gold Seal, for the most part, is um, is talking with the UAV guys. And if and if you're a private pilot out there, um, there's a ton of opportunity for you to step into the drone market. They're, they're dying for pilots to come and train them. Um, these 107 guys, they've got to know airspace. They have to know um, restrictions and know the FARs. And this is all stuff that they've you know never really seen before. And uh, for a pilot to be able to come in and physically teach them, uh, there's just huge opportunities. So what I've been doing recently is I've been um, kind of touring around Georgia and other states to speak with uh, local law enforcement and different kinds of you know organizations like that that have drone response units. Um, We just did a talk in uh, Newton County, Georgia, (laughs) recently, and uh, spoke with the SWAT team who has a drone unit, which is pretty cool. And the the hot topic right now is waivers and authorizations. You know, can they can they? A lot of these uh, you know emergency units need to fly their drone out of visual line of sight or above 400 feet or you know something like that but against one of the one of the regulations for UAV guys so we go and, and train them on how to get their waivers and um, train their guys up on the different regulations and there's tons of opportunity out there for for all kinds of stuff like that
1: you know, we, we've we had people on in the past and, and, you know, I, I love, you know, the drones and I love UAVs and I got my, my 107 and, uh, SUAS. Um, one of the things that I think people, uh, and I won't put words in your mouth, so I'll ask you, what do you think the advantages of a private pilot becoming a drone operator as opposed to somebody just off the street?
2: Well, the, the first answer to your question is for, for a private pilot to get their drone, uh, to get their unmanned aircraft systems certificate, it's just so easy. Why wouldn't you do it is, is kind of the kind of the uh, textbook answer I can give you, because uh, if you already have your part 61 rating, uh, it's a very quick and pretty simple test to do online. And uh, all you have to do is get a CFI to sign you off on it and, and you're good to go. And there's just so many opportunities that you can be doing on the side with it. Um, it's, it's hard to come up with reasons not to do it. Um, if, you're, if you're any kind of pilot in, from any kind of walk of life, whether you're a private pilot, that's just, uh, you know, fair weather flying, um, you know, or you're doing it as a career. Um, there's so many opportunities on the side for you to um, mentor and or make money. Um, teaching people how to, teaching people about regulations and, and how to share the national airspace system.
1: So let's talk a little bit about that. Uh, let's get specific as far as what we can do with this license now that we have, the, the Part 107 small SUAS license or certificate, I should say, from the FAA. You go out and get that. What, give me some examples of some opportunities and maybe if you can fill in the blanks as far as maybe how much some of these folks are making.
2: Yeah, sure. Um one of the biggest industries right now, I would say, is in the agricultural business and the real estate. One one thing that you can definitely get into wherever you are is the real estate market cuz there um I mean they're going anywhere from 300 to 500 dollars a shoot, you know, for a semi-professional person to come uh shoot property. And uh that's a huge one. The other thing that's big around here is uh checking out power lines and different kinds of site inspections. So, uh, you'd be amazed at, at all of the stuff that just kind of pops up. Even on Craigslist, I've looked and, uh, they're looking for drone operators here, looking for drone operators there. We have guys all the time come into the flight center, um, in the flight school and, and ask if there's any pilot that has some extra time to, to get paid by the hour and, you know, kind of coach some people. And so that's, so there's opportunities, even if you don't currently own a drone or you're not physically a drone operator. Um, if you are an operator, like uh, the real estate market is huge. That's probably my, uh, my number one advice would be to go for that. Um, the other would just be scan, scan the internet for opportunities around you. And there, there, uh, there are a ton, anything from, um, inspections to, you know, just videography of certain things. Some people just want aerial photography of you know, things that are going on.
1: You know, I- one of the ways that you can actually build time as a pilot used to be doing photography. I did a lot of aerial photography when I was building time. Uh, do you feel that a lot of this is now shifting over to the drones? You see a big drop in maybe the, the manned aircraft doing aerial photography.
2: Um, yes, I do. Absolutely. Um, it's just cost efficient to get a drone. Um, the only, the only time where you really can't use a drone would be, um, filming property that's in a uh, class B airspace, for example, um, that's, it's getting really hard for UAV operators to get, uh, authorization for those kinds of airspace. And right now it's, it's very, uh, it's very inefficient the way that UAV operators can get authorization to fly into controlled airspace. So I think there's still a market for it there. Um, however, just your kind of run of the mill, you know, aerial photography stuff. I've, I've done a couple, um, aerial photography flights as well. And that's, it's, it's really going away. There's really nothing much that I've done with the aerial photography stuff, um, that couldn't have been done, uh, you know, better with a drone even, you know, I hate to say that, but, but it's true. Um, the drone market is, it's just a much more cost effective way for, for people to do that kind of thing. So the way I see
1: this progression, and I used to tell the folks that were in the helicopters doing photographs, is that I can do it a lot less expensive in an airplane to take a lot of photos for all the different types of builds, as all the different types of uh, you know restaurants. Say I'm taking pictures for them, uh, for an attorney. I was taking pictures for an attorney, for exhibits in the courtroom, uh, for real estate. But you know it's kind of come full circle now. Now the drone operator can say to me, as the fixed wing pilot, I can do it less expensive, and I can get the same quality, possibly, as a person in the helicopter.
2: Yeah, and even um, you know some cool shots. A lot of these real estate guys want the fly-in shot where they, you know, start up about 200 feet off the ground and get a big kind of uh, wide-angle shot, and then fly the drone literally like into the front door. You know, and there's that's just something you couldn't you couldn't do. And so um there's some cool kind of shots like that. Or underneath the patio, you know, of a wraparound patio or something like that, getting a kind of a smooth pan shot. And there's just stuff you you know, we we can't compete in the in the fixed wing industry for that.
1: Interesting that we look at this at the drones and where they've come in just the past few years, and we're seeing many people enter this. The entry point is actually a lot easier and then Say getting your so you're not a, a fixed wing pilot, the entry is not that difficult. It's not that expensive. So what's going to happen? You think in the future when we start seeing more and more and more drone pilots out there, I'm assuming it's going to get more
2: competitive. It will absolutely. And and right now, um, you know, August 29th was when this when this all kind of hit, and it's been the gold rush. Everyone has kind of been running towards it and. Um, the market is now becoming very saturated and those $500 shoots that I mentioned earlier, you know, are definitely turning more into $250 to $300 shoots. And, um, these guys that have been doing it for a long time, um, you know, I have been, I've been noticing a lot of them getting very upset because you get a lot of guys that, cause to, to, to get started in the drone industry, really all you need is anywhere from a thousand to $2,000 and get your uh you know get your 107 and then you're good to go you can pretty much start you know set up shop that day um so a lot of these guys that have been doing it forever and have anywhere from 50 to 60 thousand dollars invested in equipment and cameras and all kinds of stuff um you know they're the ones that are kind of getting upset because you get people that go you know buy a dji and get started really quickly and they'll charge, you know, 200 bucks for a shoot because, you know, they're just doing it on the weekends. It's not their full time job. Whereas the um, you know, professional operator who has employees and maybe a brick and mortar shop and, you know, a lot more expenses um, would have to charge anywhere from five to six hundred dollars for the same shot. So I foresee the, the competitiveness, um, you know, getting high within. You know, between those two people, the people that are just doing it on the weekends and the ones that are are making a full on career out of it. And uh, the ones making a full on career out of it will unfortunately have to you know, charge a little less. And the people doing it on the weekend, I think will probably have to charge a little more because the client will be expecting a, a better quality.
1: So we'll eventually find a state of equilibrium. It, you know, it's similar to people doing wedding photography as a part-time job as, full, as compared to a full-time job. Absolutely. Um, and, and we can, you know, really use that analogy. So eventually we'll get to that point of equilibrium uh yep. but it's like anything else uh, you know there's the professionals and and the ones that that bring all these services and all this experience and uh, maybe their their selling point uh, their value they they bring uh might be with the the quickness or or something else you know the experience and and the ideas that they can bring forth so i think yeah this, and
2: i think so, the biggest i think the biggest thing that really sets the professional guys apart uh and it's probably one of the more more hot topics uh, today in in the unmanned aircraft systems market is waivers and authorizations because these professional guys um if they can get a waiver to say fly at night or to fly out of visual line of sight um that sets them apart now they can now they can do something that um you know the kind of weekend people can't and those waivers are are not easy to get really um and so that's, that's one big thing that I've been doing in my own career is, is training people on, on the waivers. And it's, it's, um, it's been a challenge for a lot of guys.
1: Interesting. Well, gosh, Nathan, this, this has been great. I mean, we're almost up on time. But uh, a couple things I want to do before we close. First of all, tell us a little bit about Gold Method and, and what you have to offer to pilots uh, and what's out there on the website and what, they can, what are they going to get out of Gold Method?
2: Sure. Absolutely. So, so gold seal is the, is the parent company for gold method. We have, uh, we have three products. So we have, um, FAA which is, uh, our private pilot, um, program. And that will take you through everything from zero hour up to practical check ride ready, um, with oral exam guides and everything you would ever need as far as the ground school goes for your private pilot. Um, and that's FAAgroundschool.com. Um, we also have UAV And what that is, is uh, that takes you, it gets you ready for the uh, part 107 test. And uh, especially if you're a pilot that doesn't already have your part 61 and you have to learn all of this information from scratch, um, that gets you ready from from zero to hero pretty much on the part 107. And then Gold Method is our newest product, and that's uh, goldmethod.com. And that is by far the coolest instrument uh, written test. Testing software on the market, and uh, what kind of makes it cool is um, it learns as you learn. So we've set up we've set up this testing software where you can go on, you can log into goldmethod.com and take quizzes. And as you take quizzes, um, there's an algorithm built in that the program starts to learn your strengths and weaknesses. So it tailors all of your quizzes towards your towards your weaknesses. So you can, um, as you take more quizzes, you start out with a full testing bank of, uh, of around 650 questions. And as you, take, as you take more and more quizzes, that testing bank kind of depletes. You notice whenever uh, you've answered a question uh, more than two times correctly, that that question is now going to be out of your testing bank. And basically it's kind of a game. You, you go through all the testing engines, you go through all the quizzes, And, um, as your testing bank, you know, decreases, you collect, you collect stars and, um, you get closer and closer to being able to take your gold seal final exam. And, uh, we have a, you pass or we pay guarantee. If you pass our gold seal final exam, um, and you still don't pass your instrument written test, we'll pay for it. It's, it's that good. And if you, it's got a ranking system as well. So you can actually see, um, how many questions other people that are using the program have eliminated from their testing bank? So it really does kind of make studying for the instrument written test a little bit more fun. And it's tailors the courses so that you know it's it's for you personally. and uh, really make sure that you're good on all the knowledge that you you know may or may not have.
1: Well, sounds like a a really interesting methodology and looks like a lot of fun. I may even go try it out myself, uh, please do Is there any way that uh, somebody can get on there and just give it a try, give it a whirl?
2: Yeah, absolutely. um so we're actually coming up with a uh, with a free trial period now. We're working with our programmers, so we're trying to do that now. Um, I would love to throw out my email address for anyone that's interested, and uh, anybody that wants to email me directly, we'd be happy to. Uh, to give them some kind of trial run, absolutely.
1: Awesome. Well, we'll have a link to that on the website, and of course, you can always write us at feedback at aviationcareerspodcast.com. We always send the emails to the guests uh, that are on the podcast. We'll send them directly to to Nate here, uh, and we'll have a link to your to your email address. If you want to go ahead and say it, we will, and uh, we'll put the sure.
2: Link yeah, it's, it's it's Nate at onlinegroundschool.com. Terrific,
1: and we will also have that link at the bottom. Nate, this has been great having you here. We could talk for another few hours. Uh, one of the things I'd love to do is have you come back on possibly and answer some of these questions, and if folks do have some questions, we can have some follow-up. I, I think this has been a, a great conversation, which we can continue. Sure,
2: absolutely. I'd be happy to.
1: Awesome, awesome. Well, Nate Tennant, <clears throat> this has been great. I'm, one of the things that I think is really cool is what you've done. You've You've started a little later in life. You're a great example of somebody Who has decided to move in a certain direction, move forward, and move forward quickly, but did it in a very systematic way. And you know what? We always tell people, and I think it's really important, when you're looking towards moving towards a career goal, always take one step, then another, then another. Take one small step today to move forward in your career, just like Nate has done. Look where Nate is now, and you can be too. That's the most important thing to get out of this podcast and to get out of Nate as an example. You can do it
0: just one step at a time. Folks, we'll talk to you next episode. and Safe flying.